Thank you for listening to the Five Points Parish Podcast. This is recorded at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Tiffin, Ohio. Please visit our YouTube channel and our website for more information. Those links are found in the description below. Thank you. And now for the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Will you join me in the prayer for illumination as it's printed in your bulletin or on the wall? Loving Loving God, God, we we pray pray for those who need rest from the insecurities of the world. Help us as we worship and find spaces for guidance, renewal, and hope. Speak to us through your holy word. We pray all of this in your awesome name. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfield, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing that is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, excuse me, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Diane. We thought about time last week in our time together. We spent our time talking about how we prioritize the time that we have been given. We talked a little bit about Mary and Martha and how they prioritize their time on a day that Jesus was visiting them in their home. We also heard about a new ministry that we are preparing to launch across our parish the Three C's Ministry. Three C's is an abbreviated name for Caring Christian Community. It's being launched by Tom Schweitzer. We've already had a few people sign up for that training, so if you're interested in that, please let me know so I can include your name on that list. We're talking about time once again today and how we sanctify time and space and how God sanctifies time and space. I, and I'm sure most folks my age have parents that talk about how time used to be defined in our culture. We hear about the days when shops were closed on Sunday and the priority on Sunday was spending time with family and friends and in church. We hear about Sunday dinners and family gatherings. My mom talks about going to church and then window shopping downtown. It's one of her fondest childhood memories. Sunday was a day set apart. It was set apart for gathering with your faith community. It was set apart for rest and relaxation. It was set apart for gathering and connecting with family and with friends. It was a time that we had indeed viewed as a sanctified time. We were following the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? That was our intention. 
Well, whether it was completely intentional or not, Sunday was indeed set aside, set aside from our normal routines. And then slowly things tend to happen. And we moved from the idea that Sundays were days that were meant to be set aside. Our culture changed. Over time, both parents began working, and so it was necessary for stores to be open on Sunday so that necessities could be purchased. That meant that folks at the stores needed to work. Soon, like a ripple effect across time and space, everything started being open on Sundays, and now nearly 40% of Americans have to work on the weekends. Four out of 10 people need to be at work. That number has steadily increased over the past several decades, so you wonder what will happen in the near future. Did the changing workforce change our understanding of Sabbath? Did the shrinking Christian, I, Christian culture change the idea of observing the Sabbath, what it means to make the Sabbath and keep it holy? Do Christians even observe the Sabbath? Do we? Do you? Do I? I joke all the time about taking Methodist meditations in the afternoon. I'm not really sure that's how God sanctified the Sabbath for me. Not that I'm going to stop doing it. But what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? What are the rules? We like the rules, right? We like the boundaries. We like the box. We like to know what is it going to take to check this box? What is God grading us on a curve? What does he expect? A good 75%? We'd be a solid C. What does God expect? Isn't that what this story's all about? Observing the rules? Well, yes and no. We find Jesus and the disciples walking through the grain fields. Scripture doesn't say that they're working in the grain fields. It says they're walking. And I don't know if you've ever walked through a field or a garden and, and plucked a tomato off or berries or apples or, you know, sometimes you, you eat as you pick. You pick as you walk, right? And so it seems to be by the writing that this is what the disciples and Christ are doing. As they walked along, they plucked off the heads of the grain. They weren't gathering. They weren't harvesting. They weren't doing what we would consider work. They were picking and walking. The Pharisees or the teachers or the keepers and the enforcers of the law saw it differently on that day. In their minds, their beloved Mosaic law was being broken. People were working on the Sabbath. They were breaking the law of God. And this was of the utmost importance to the Jewish people. This cannot be done. This is how you secure your salvation is to to adhere to the law and to be uh, a sacrifice be made when you've broken it. But just to willy-nilly walk around breaking it is not acceptable. The whole community will suffer for this wanton disregard for the law. And so the Pharisees correct Christ and his disciples. In truth, if you look at this situation and if you look at Jesus, he allowed this confrontation to happen. He didn't stop the disciples. He didn't say, hey, 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 don't, don't pick while we're walking. He didn't remind them that, hey, you know, like when you see a, a police officer and you go from 70 to 55, like he's not going to notice, right? Yeah, that, that, that doesn't work. 
Nah, that doesn't work. So he didn't say, hey, they're over there. Don't do that. He didn't remind them of this perceived infraction. He allowed them to walk along. He walked with them, knowing it would be noticed and that it would cause a fuss. And this is not unusual for Jesus. God challenges our thinking and our understandings all the time. That's one of the primary reasons for Jesus' public ministries and one of the primary reasons that they were upset with him. God was challenging the idea of how we interpret God's word and God's law. Jesus preaching to the people of Israel was disruptive. He was taking ideas that had long been understood and followed and enforced when necessary, and he was changing them. He was saying that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom was here. The kingdom stands in front of you, and I'm asking you to receive it and acknowledge it and then do something with it. No longer was it about simple adherence to the law. It was about the law being fulfilled and before them and even elevated. If you continue to read on in this scripture in Mark, just following this passage where Jesus and the disciples are confronted by the Pharisees, you will see that Jesus then goes in and enters into the synagogue and heals a man who has, it's called a withered hand, but has a deformity. Christ is taking a very in-your-face approach to ministry in this moment. He is being seemingly defiant in the face of those who disagree with them. He's coming in hot. This is almost like Christ's protest of the common understanding of the status quo. This is a moment where he teaches us what it looks like to stand up for something different, to be a voice of change where it's needed. This is the moment where God calls to us and says, I'm going to challenge your understanding about me. I'm going to challenge your understanding about my call on you and how you live your life in me. And then God waits to see the response. In this instance, Christ is called out for not adhering to the law of God. Jesus points out, I am God. So it's my law to break. It's my law to uphold. And then he intentionally invokes a reaction by healing on the Sabbath. God is saying, in the big picture, I'm God. This is my law. I am the hand that wrote the law. I am the hand that handed it off to Moses. This is my creation. I am Lord of it all. And if I see fit to call for a change, this is my prerogative. You are called to be my people. They weren't there yet. And if I see one of my children hurting as the man in the synagogue was hurting, then I'm going to move and the law that I created will bend to mercy. This argument, this conflict with the Pharisees isn't really all about working on the Sabbath. It's really not all about the rules. If you study into the word, it's about the state of the heart of humanity. What will we fight to defend? What will we fight to uphold? And will we bend to God's call and God's intention for us? 
Will we fight for what God calls us to fight for or will we fight to maintain what we know and what we're comfortable with and what we think checks the box? Will we fight for those who are hurting, for those who are in need, or will we say, gosh, I feel your need. Can you come back tomorrow when I can help you? I see your need, but can you, it doesn't quite fit our program. So maybe go down there. The life of Christ was ever evolving. Jesus had no home. He had no place. He had no office that he could hang a sign out in front of healing. Open nine to five. Come on in. Jesus moved from place to place, from need to need, from person to person, and he met the need that was before him, and he satisfied the need, whether it was physical, emotional, or spiritual. He changed every environment with his presence, simply being. He changed the environment with his mercy and his grace, and he challenges us to do the same. Who do you need to show mercy to? Who do you need to extend grace to? In this moment when Jesus challenges the Pharisees' understanding of God and God's kingdom and the Messiah, when he challenges their comfortable place, what is their response? Jesus is angry. See, they followed him. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to follow Jesus, but how do we follow? Do we follow with what's our intention in following? Is it for us? Is it so we can check the salvation box? Or is it so we can truly follow where God calls us to go? What are we trying to do here? Jesus is angry. They follow him from the fields into the synagogue because they wanted to know what he was going to do there because they probably knew. They wondered if he would continue to be what they considered disobedient to the law. They policed God. They tried to restrain God. They tried to restrict God to their understanding and their ideas and their plans. Jesus did indeed heal the man with the withered hand. I love this passage and I hate it. I want you to hear the words of the scripture. They say he entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand and they watched him to see whether or not he would cure him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And I almost come apart when I read it. I get so mad at them. How could they do that to my Jesus? How could they follow him with that intention? 
How could they think they knew better? How could they think that they could use his own law against him? And they did. Do you not see the irony here? They were angry at him for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in his own brilliance, asks them directly. He knows what they're going to do. <coughs> and he asks them directly, he said, what's worse on the Sabbath, to heal or to harm? To save or to kill? And he was met with their silence. What's worse, to heal or to harm? Both were going to take place on that day, on that holy day set apart. He speaks healing into the man, doesn't touch him. He doesn't have to touch him. Christ's own presence is the healing power that heals him. He doesn't even really have to work at this healing. He says, stretch out your hand and healing comes. And this isn't just a simple stretch of a broken hand. It's a foreshadowing to how healing will come for all because his arms will stretch out for healing for us all. He will be brought to harm on the cross because of the conversation that will take place just moments after this healing, and we will all be healed because of it. But what is humanity's response to this Christ in this moment, this Christ who values this man's deformity so much that he will be he will be present and heal him in front of the people who will leave the room and plot his death because that's what they do it's wrong and unlawful for him to heal on the sabbath on a day that he created and gifted to us it's wrong for him to move in a new way it's unlawful for him to show mercy over his own creation but humanity can move in opposition to God on that day. Humanity can plot Jesus' destruction because he broke God's law. Do we not see the problem here? Do we not see the arrogance here? We are defending and upholding God's law by crucifying God. What? We are moving in direct opposition to God for God in defense of God how does that make any sense? But we do it. We all do it. God calls us one way, we turn another. You know, have you seen those shirts that say, not today, Satan? How many times do we say, not today, God? Nope, just wait. God says, I love you. You say, no, 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 I'm unlovable. God says, I saved you. We say, I'm not worthy of being saved. God calls our churches into something new. We dig into what's familiar and comfortable. That's what this summer of love has all been about, stepping out in love and in faith that God will produce what God calls us to do. Not today, God. Just wait until... Even though there are people waiting... For mercy. There are people waiting to stretch out their brokenness toward God, desperate for healing, desperate for grace. And we say, not today, Lord, maybe tomorrow. Not that way, Lord. This, this way is better. Have we not learned? 
See, but, but here's the thing, Christians. God will move anyway. God will move in spite of us. We say not today, God says, watch me. We say no way, no way, that can work here. God says, if not here, somewhere. We say no way, God says, just watch me. We can either enter into the process with God or we can stand at the door and watch. Either way, God will move. See, notice he gave them a choice first. He said, what's worse, healing or harm? What's worse, life or death? He gave them the opportunity to see that God's way is always good. It's not always our way because it's God's way. It can't be our way all the time. What's worse? Whose team are you on? He gave them the opportunity to see that God's way is good. And God will make a way. Even when we say, no way. No way. And all God's people said, amen. Church, let's sit in the word for... Thank you once again for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about our church or our services, links to our website and our YouTube channel are found in the description below. Thank you.